Hi, my name is Joanna, and I'm one of the listeners of this podcast. I live in Orange County, California, and work for a construction firm. I listen to this podcast any opportunity I get, and it has been such a blessing to me, as I'm sure it has been for you too. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Smiling at the Future podcast. My name is Christy Rose, and this is my pursuit to glean practical wisdom on femininity, homemaking, finances, relationships, and singleness from the God-fearing women in my life. Hope you enjoy this journey with me as we learn to smile at the future. Hi, ladies. You might have noticed that we made some changes to the intro of this podcast, and one of those changes is that we are now including listener greetings at the beginning of each episode. It's just a way to introduce the listening audience to each other and build more of a community. So if you want to record one of those greetings, you can find out how to do that by heading over to our Instagram page where we have the instructions posted. And don't forget that you can always email a suggestion for a topic to be covered on this podcast or a question that you want answered to smilingatthefuturepodcast at gmail.com. And keeping up with the theme on health that we started in the last episode, today we are going to discuss what it means to steward our bodies, and we touch on topics such as coffee addictions, phone usage, and much more. I'm interviewing a lady named Maisie Trempert. She's a friend from college. She is 30 years old, married, and a mama to four children ages seven and under. And now here is our conversation. Well, Maisie, we got to know each other very well around 10 years ago or so when we spent an entire semester in Israel with a group of 32 other college students. And you left such an impression on me. Your enthusiasm for the Lord and love for Him was evident not only because of your joyful countenance, uh, but also, you know, just how you acted and and spoke. And I vividly remember you had um, posters papering the wall in your dorm room with attributes of God and verses, and you're just keeping that in front of you at all times. And you were joyful, even though you were sick for some of that semester, (laughs) if I remember I just have this memory that you had to drag your mattress into the hallway to try to get better airflow because you were having trouble breathing and coughing. And even through all of that, you were just such a joy to be around and just watching you trust the Lord and do your best. Even in those difficult circumstances was really inspiring to me. So I would love for you to just share a little bit about your life with our listeners today. Thank you, Christy. I consider it such a privilege to um, talk to you today and to the women listening. My name is Maisie Trempert, and I grew up in Idaho, and I find myself back here, which is amazing because I never thought I would be. I have four kids and a wonderful husband, and we are here in Sandpoint, Idaho. We have a heart for missions, but um, God has kind of crushed some of our plans and given us new ones, I think his plans. And that's been a really hard journey, but it's been good to submit to him above all else. And so we are looking for ways to give to missions, even though we're here in Sandpoint, Idaho. And yeah, so our, our family right now, we are doing soccer, we're doing homeschooling, we're building a house, we're reaching out to families through our nonprofit called Engaged Families, and it's just a full and beautiful life. Today, we are going to actually be studying what God's Word has to say about stewarding our bodies. We're also going to confront the worldly attitude behind what the culture calls self-care, The self-care culture has been peddled very aggressively at women, particularly moms who might be more susceptible to the messaging that it promotes. But nonetheless, all women see this and we should know how to interact with it and debunk some of the worldly messages that come through. So I think when we're talking about this topic, self-care can leave Christians waffling because there's things we agree with 
But then there's things that we see that are against scripture. So hopefully you will come away from listening to this conversation feeling like you can navigate this topic with wisdom. So we're going to hop right into question number one. And it is, let's start by defining our terms. Can you explain self-care and then the term we're going to use today, which is called self-stewardship? Yes. So self-care is the practice of taking action to preserve or improve one's own health or happiness. This definition, you can see self-care is very focused on self. It values happiness and health, and its end goal is bettering me. When we talk about self-stewardship, we start to reach a biblical definition, and that is attentive care to your body, soul, and mind in a way that honors Christ and allows you to serve others. So you see the motivation is built right into that definition because you cannot separate the motivation from the definition um, without, yeah, having it not work. So this you can see is focused on doing good. It's valuing taking care of what God has given us. And its end goal is Christ's honor and serving others. And one thing that I discovered as I was studying this more that I thought was fascinating was just the term self-care, and that was used by the medical community and holistic health practitioners for a long time, um, just to talk about taking care of your body, taking care of yourself. But it actually exploded after Trump was elected in 2016 on like social media and hashtags just took this and ran with it. So the question that we're going to ask today is, should Christians practice self-care and is it biblical? Yes. So I see three biblical motivations to practice self-care. The first one is the command to stewardship. You see in Genesis 2, God creates this world and who is put into the stewardship role? That's us. We are made to work it and keep it and steward it. And it would be, I think, ironic to say, well, we're supposed to steward every single thing in the world except our own body. I, I don't feel like that's very consistent. In the command of stewardship, we also see 1 Corinthians 6. We see this theology of ownership. It says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Now, obviously, the immediate context is the immorality going on in the Christian or the Corinthian church, and they're getting some choice words. (laughs) This is not a fun sermon for them. But we can have this foundational theology apply where our body is not our own. This is Jesus's body. What are we going to do with it? You know, and maybe this is too silly, but say you got an Amazon package on your front door step and it was Jesus's body. Would you just take such good care of it? I I would. I'd be like, wow, like this is his body. I have to do everything good and steward this and You know, and sometimes I think we think it's so different, but I honestly see from scripture that our body is not our own. This body that I have right now, it is his. And God's like, yeah, you know, that body that you're too busy or too lazy to take care of. Well, it's mine. And so if we don't take care of our body, no one's going to do it for us. So I would say in the stewardship realm, let's not call selfish something God has commanded us to do. And that's to steward our body. The second motivation I see biblically is a countenance of joy. Ephesians 5.19, filled with the spirit as we address one another in hymns and songs of praise, making melody to the Lord in our heart and giving thanks. Well, let me ask you, when you've had no sleep, you're hungry, you feel sick from all the Oreos and junk food you ate last night, do you really feel like your heart is spurred on to good deeds? Do you feel like addressing your friends when you wake up in psalms and hymns. I mean, obedience does come from the heart, not how we feel, not from our circumstances, but oh, how hard we make it on ourselves to obey. So self-stewardship is a great way to make the commandment for joy a reality. And, you know, I'll talk to, I know we're talking to a lot of single women, but also moms. And like, I am a mom. And let me tell you those days where I have not taken care of myself. I, it is hard to take care of my little tribe and have joy while I do it. 
So again, my obedience to have joy doesn't come from how I feel. I can still have joy when I'm sick, but it makes it a lot easier when I'm actually taking care of my body and my soul and my mind. (laughs) Yeah. And for moms in particular, you know, a lot of times it's a season when you have to forego certain things. You know, you have, if you have a newborn, you're up every two hours on a feeding schedule. You know, there's, there's times when you can't put the effort into taking care of yourself the way you would want to, but God gives grace. And, you know, he said he gently leads those who are with young and he will sustain you even through those things because he's called you to that task and to steward those little children. So he'll give you the grace to fulfill that calling even when you can't have the time you would like to put into rest and refreshment. Yes, I I agree. I have felt his caring grace through that. And it's also a a fire that he puts us in to really see what's in the heart, I feel. Because when when we feel like we need sleep, you know, we're like, Lord, honestly, I know that you will give me what I need and I feel like I need sleep and I'm flattered. You feel like I only need two hours of sleep a night when my kids are sick and, you know, and the dog woke me up on the one night that baby didn't sleep and, you know, whatever that looks like. But God does, he proportions and measures everything and he weighs it and before he gives it to us, he's the perfect father. And when he withholds something, I feel like it's truly because he wants to test what's in our heart. It's like a tea bag. Our, our heart's the tea bag, and he puts it in the hot water, and he goes, "Okay, so there's a little bit of uncontentment still in there, and there's a little bit of, you know, resentment still in there, and and it brings it out so that we can deal with it. And it's truly a grace gift. That's such a good perspective. Yeah. So yeah. Thank you. So right next time you're up all night, oh God, okay, you're putting my heart in the tea bag or in the hot water, and yeah, it's. It's a grace gift. It's supposed to be seen as that. It's hard to see that at three o'clock in the morning, but it really is. The third biblical motivation I see in scripture is the commission to serve. So Galatians 5.13, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And Galatians is very clear about what the fleshly things are like. He says, but through love, serve one another. So this is obviously in the greater context of spirituality and debates over theology. But again, the foundational theology applies. Use whatever you have to serve one another. So it's funny because if you got a car, you wouldn't expect an engine to run without oil or a fire to burn without fuel or a sailboat to soar without wind. But a lot of times our culture and ourselves, we expect a woman in all her complexities to function well, serve well, be joyful without giving her the proper care and maintenance that she needs. So there's where we see the inconsistency in our thinking. I love the quote, and I actually don't even know who said it. You cannot give to others what you do not possess yourself. Real giving comes from the overflow of our soul, not the debt of our soul. Um, And again, you can't give water to your people if your well's dry. That's my favorite one as a mom. Like I can't give water to all my peoples over here. You know, if my well is just as dry as it is in the desert, you know, I have to be filled before I can give to others. And again, there are times, I love that you bring it up, that we feel like we're dry. We feel like we have nothing to give and we're still commanded to give to others in our family and our husband or our children or other friends that may be in a hard spot, there is time for that. Um, But I did want to bring up this idea. And again, this is like an 80-20. 80% of the time, this is how I believe God calls us to give. And 20% of the time, there may be some times of sacrifice where we feel like there's nothing in the tank, but God's calling us to give. So I want to keep that kind of over here for a second. But 80% of the time, I really do believe that God calls us to give out of our surplus. I believe there's three types of giving. There's giving out of your debt. This is manufactured energy I don't have. There's giving out of your duty. This is manufactured love I don't possess right now. And giving out of your surplus. This is genuine love and service that flows out of us as we have been stewarded well and God's grace is flowing out of us. So for instance, we always balance, you know, giving to ourselves and uh, respecting the God ordained limits that we do not have 
unlimited energy, which I actually did believe for about 25 years of life. I thought, oh, there's no limit to energy. I'm very energetic. <laughs> well, I'm quickly learning that no, there's God-given limits even to my energy. So let's just say this. Say you have a hundred tokens of energy a day that God has given you. Okay. 10 just for breathing and being human. Now you spend 50 because you go to your job and come back home. 20 for your family, whether that's kids, there'll be a lot more. If you're a single woman, you know, your, your immediate family, 10 for laundry and all the household things that everybody has to do. That's already 90 tokens. Now say someone asks, Hey, can we come over to your house for dinner tonight? And you know, that's going to get about 20 tokens. You're going to be in 110 instead of a hundred. And you know that that's going to kind of stretch your God ordained limits of your energy. Now, Again, this is not for every situation, but 80% of the time, it's probably good to say, you know, my God ordained limits say, maybe we should do that on Saturday because I don't work on Saturday. There'll be more room in my life for that and to really minister well, instead of just manufacture the energy to have someone over because I feel like it's the right thing to do. Um, Does that make sense? That principle? Yeah. And I think it'll look different. Everyone has different limits and that's okay. That's what God has allowed you to function on. So some people can maybe have a a surplus of energy and and can balance a lot more in their schedule. And some of us, (laughs) self-included, generally need more rest. And that's something that we have to understand that that's how God made us. And we need to submit to that. I completely agree. Yes. God all has each one of us in a specific spot and it looks very different for all of us. Yeah. One of the phrases that I love so much, and my brother Nathan uses this quite a lot when he's just going out and doing evangelism, but we live in God's world and he has placed real physical limits on us that keep us dependent on him that's good that we have these limits. We actually honor and glorify and worship God by acknowledging those limitations and, you know, prioritizing them to the best of our ability. It takes a lot of discipline to do that daily discipline. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, but it's not wrong to acknowledge that God made us this way. He made the world this way. And we show our dependence on him by living the way he has created us to live. I couldn't agree more. I think that God dependence is such a key attribute to stewardship. Um, I think they go hand in hand. When I think of stewardship, I think I think of the words balance, moderation, motivation, dependence. Those, I think, start to define our terms in a biblical way instead of in a secular way. Yeah. Motivation is really important. I think that's where the Christian idea of self-stewardship differs from the self-care culture, whereas Christians, our motivation is to serve others and glorify the Lord. And that's why we want to take care of our bodies, not just for our own selfish comfort, but for a higher calling and a nobler reason. Now let's talk a second about three unbiblical motivations. So the first one I want to bring up is self-esteem. Has anybody heard that word in our culture? I think we hear it way too much. I'm sick of it. Um, This is really pulling off the uh, idea of identity. So the world says, and they are very convinced that you need to love yourself more. Well, I never once have heard that in scripture. Matthew 22, 37, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So they're already, God is assuming he knows us that we already love ourselves way too much. So when people go to pick apples, have you ever seen someone pick the worst apple in the bunch because they just hate themselves so much? I'm just going to pick the one with the big bruise. No, what we see is they always pick the best one because they're so in love with themselves. Okay. This is what we're dealing with while we're still in the flesh and not with Jesus. We love ourselves far too much. So this brings up the point that a negative self-image and a positive self-image is both evidence for a relentless love of self. We're so consumed and in love with ourselves that when we do good, we want to be exalted. And when we do bad, we get angry at ourselves. 
So I do believe that we should not practice self-stewardship to boost our self-esteem. We already are so obsessed with self. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Another example is a sports fan. You know, why do they get so elated when the championship victory, they win and so depressed when they lose the championship? This is not because, you know, they really don't love their team when they lose. It's because they're so invested and they care so much that both have this adverse reaction. So let's not love ourselves more. This is not a proper motivation for stewarding, stewarding ourselves. The second one I want to touch on is an unbiblical motivation is self-gratification, pleasure, just for the pure pleasure. Pleasure is not an appropriate goal for self-care. It can be a secondary fruit that comes out of good stewardship. It, it feels really great to get eight to 10 hours of sleep of night, at night, but it's not the driving force to make it happen. The pitfalls of pleasure are ensnarement and uncontentment, and we'll see a lot in scripture. Proverbs 21, 17 says, whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. <laughs> There's lots of examples in Proverbs. The third biblical or unbiblical motivation would be self-trust. This is the people who want to control everything. Now let's talk about control. Wherever you find the need to control something, you also find a deep-seated, deep fear. Um, and this ultimately points to a lack of trust in God. And so you'll see people that work out 50 times a day. They will only eat organic and they're so afraid of not being in control. Now, I'm not saying it's bad to work out a lot. I'm not saying it's bad to eat organic. We, we practice those things in our family, but there's a difference between white knuckling our health and stewarding our health. Laura Doyle once said, we are so afraid of the unpredictable that we do everything in our power to ensure a certain outcome. We do not want to white knuckle things. That's when God usually tries to break our plans so that we may depend on him again. Because when we're white knuckling things, we are truly depending on self. So those are three unbiblical motivations for practicing self-care and why we want to go into the mode of self-stewardship. My mom has said that quote many times about God will do whatever it takes to keep us dependent on him. That is the best place for us to be. But I want to talk a little bit about something that is cropping up in our culture called mindfulness. And it's really what it is. It's the attempt to bring someone peace by distracting them from their problems, by having them focus on the present which doesn't sound harmful at face value, but many of the techniques that are used for people are helping them to empty their mind and just focus on their current senses. So it, it takes a very horizontal approach to a finding peace and solving your problems instead of a vertical approach that we are supposed to have as Christians we're supposed to have the mind of Christ. It says in Second or First Corinthians two sixteen, we're not supposed to be emptying our mind. And uh, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be practicing anything that's going to encourage me to further focus on myself and empty my mind. I need to be training my mind to be focusing on Christ. My default position is to to hone in on me. I need to be directing my my focus on Christ, who can bring ultimate peace. And that's what biblical meditation is all about, filling your mind with truth. So when your soul is anxious and you need to find a solution and a cure for those fears, Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, do not be anxious about everything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So if you're practicing mindfulness in, and you're kind of into that, I would just say practice a different kind of mindfulness. Listen to music, watch a beautiful sunset, but 
take that back to worshiping the Lord. Thank him for those things. Those are his good gifts. Don't just worship that gift, but have it always be directed back to the giver of that gift. Christy, that's such a good point. And I love how you said that. And I love the word you used, worship. You know, we are worship machines. We are desire machines. And just because we're practicing mindfulness does not mean that we stop worshiping. And so what are we worshiping when we're practicing mindfulness? So I love that. Let's let's do what God commands. Let's be sober-minded. You know, let's let Philippians 4, let's, let's get our mind right, but let's still continue to direct that worship to God where it belongs. I agree. Yes. Okay. So Maisie, we've talked about the pitfalls of self-care and why the world practices that and why Christians should not be obsessed with that and why we should be stewarding. But what do you think keeps Christians from practicing stewardship of their bodies? Well, where do we begin? <laughs> I think there's so much. It depends who you are and what you're, I think it's a human thing. Um, so I actually did ask hundreds of women, what keeps you from doing good self-stewardship, self-care? I didn't, you know, I didn't have time to, you know, do the terms. So I used both terms so that people on both sides could participate. Here's some good things. They said a lack of time. I didn't say no, I procrastinated, or I was lazy. I'm completely overwhelmed. I heard that so much, (laughs) which means there's no time for anything but just to get a grip. Um, The other one I heard is time. My kids are young, so close in age. Even basic attention to self can be hard to find. High expectations is also what I heard. I'm not going to do this unless it's a guarantee that I can do it without getting interrupted by the needs of others. Uh, another one, I find myself spending time on less worthwhile things, <laughs> Facebook, Insta, uh, TikTok, you know, whatever you, it is for you. Boy, let's, you know, I think we're going to talk about this a little later. How are blue screens affecting our sober mindedness and our necessity and our ability to do what God has commanded us in the stewardship realm? Guilt, guilt, guilt. That's also what I heard from women. I don't practice stewardship or self-care because I just have so much guilt. Like, isn't that selfish? And we've kind of touched on that. Another one said, because I've forgotten what self-stewardship is. Life is so busy and the current is so strong that I don't even have time to stop and think about it. Another one, which I really appreciate the, the honesty, I fail to recognize that I have limits. And I think that brings us to the next really great point in this question is, do we have God-ordained limits? Luke 9, 23 says, if any of you would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Does that mean we always deny ourselves and we just say yes, yes, yes to every need that comes along and we say no, no, no to ourself and our sleep and our nutrition and our exercise? You know, can we take that verse out of context as Christians? I think a lot of us do, whether we are doing it like we know it or we, we don't know it. But I think that influences if we practice good stewardship or not. What do you think, Christy? No, I think that's very true. And yeah, like you were saying, denying yourself does not mean denying your humanity, how God created you to function. And there are going to be seasons of sacrifice. We already spoke about those. But for the most part, we are called to steward our bodies in a certain way. And that does not fall under the denying yourself. Stewarding your bodies does not fall into that category, I believe. So, yeah, I agree. And I also think that sometimes we usurp God's role and we become God and say, no, I know God's the limits, but there are no limits. And I really do think that comes back to pride. God never asks us to pretend that we're not needy physically or spiritually or emotionally. I want people to hear this. Moms, single women, any woman out there. It is not more spiritual to not be needy emotionally, physically, intellectually. It is not more spiritual to never need sleep. It's not more spiritual to never need to talk to that friend and get things off your chest and have someone bear your burdens. We're so focused on bearing everyone else's burdens that sometimes 
if you're like me, like, oh, I don't want them to bear my burdens. Isn't that ungodly? You know, we have to get that thinking out of our head. I see in Matthew 5, 32, Jesus has compassions on the crowds that are no doubt hungry. They're sitting there listening to him. Jesus isn't just interested in feeding the soul. He also feeds the body when he was with us in person. First Kings 19, the care for Elijah's physical needs came before God spoke to him in the spiritual realm. Um, Sometimes physical needs can cloud our vision for what we need spiritually. So if you're a woman and you are overwhelmed, such a common phrase for any woman, because we're doing a thousand things at once. If not in our body, we're doing it in our head. Even if we're laying down, it can be swirling, right? But I would say to a woman who's overwhelmed, before you even talk to God about the way you snapped at this person or this, go take a nap drink 32 ounces of water, wake up and dig into your Bible. I mean, there is something about taking care of the physical needs so that it doesn't cloud our vision for what we truly need spiritually. Yeah. God made us to be in physical bodies. That's not a sinful thing. That's how he designed us. And for all of eternity, we will be both body and soul. We're going to be in new bodies someday, which is going to be wonderful. But that's how God designed us to function. And what if we don't take care of the physical, it does affect the spiritual. I couldn't agree more. So I think of it as what if you were given a car? You know, in my nonprofit, what if my nonprofit was given a car? That would be awesome. And it was to give the people rides to all of our resource, you know, classes and everything. If I said, no, I am not going to service this car. I'm not going to put new tires on the car. I'm not going to change the oil. I'm not going to dust the dashboard. I'm not going to vacuum it because that is just not the important thing. The important thing is having that person get a ride to our class. Well, that type of thinking breaks down. And so in the same way, woman of God, please don't say, oh, I'm not going to take care of my body. I'm not going to put oil in the engine and exercise and worry about sleeping enough. It just, the important part is me serving God and giving to other people. Well, I do believe that you can't do one without the other. So, you know, steward yourself well so that you can serve well. So in summary, the things that keep us from stewarding our bodies for the glory of God, I believe, is schedule, identity, or a lack of resources. So schedule, I'm just too busy, or I'm too lazy. Um, Identity, I'm not worth it, or, oh, I have so much guilt if I spend any time on myself. Lack of resources, sometimes the needs outweigh the time, and maybe you need to sit down with your schedule and your Bible and say, Are all of these things necessary to serve God in? Are all of these things what God's calling to me, even if I can't steward myself because I'm committed to 50 things? Sometimes we need to make some changes. And, you know, even in motherhood, I want to put one plug in there is, you know, I found myself so overwhelmed and it's not like you can give a kid back. You don't want to give a kid back. I don't know where to take the time from. So what I did was I started making meals in bulk. I said, you know, something needs to give. And so my kids are going to take over all the bathroom cleaning. They're five and seven are my oldest and they do that. And meals, you know, I make a huge batch of quinoa, huge, right? Like I need the bigger instant pot. (laughs) And it lasts us four days. I make a huge batch of grass-fed beef or whatever it is, and it lasts us the four days. And so I only cook two or three times a week. You know, be creative. This is your life. Create a life that you don't want to escape from. You know, make it work for you. So that's my plug for (laughs) people that are so busy. Yeah. It just, it does come down to planning. And I think a lack of planning is behind so much of the chaos in our lives and lack of time is we don't sit down and think through each of these things that affect our day-to-day life. So speaking of day-to-day, our last question is, what might self-stewardship look like in a Christian's life? And are there rhythms and routines that can refresh your body for the glory of God? I believe there are. Um, I tend to break it down into a few categories. We have spiritually feeding yourself, intellectually 
feeding yourself emotionally, physically, and relationally. And I know that's a lot, but we'll just hit a few points with each of them. Spiritual fortitude. I I think we could talk about that all day, (laughs) but this includes feeding your soul. You know, you wouldn't go five days without eating, but you'll go five days without reading your Bible. So do what's called piggybacking habits. They're way easier to form. You know, if you're struggling to read your Bible, be, be tenacious. Don't let yourself eat until you've read your Bible or read your Bible at breakfast while you're eating, but make it happen. Because, um, I see a lot of people that are well-fed and great nutrition and they're taking great care of themselves. And yet they, their soul is starving and their soul is emaciated. I also think doing the word, I would rather you read your Bible one time a week and it actually change you then you read it every single day and it do nothing. It just fall on deaf ears. So I believe that though we need to be feeding our soul consistently, we need to be doing what we hear. Intellectual strength. I believe in training your brain. There's a, there's a lot of books on it or there's apps on it. You know, keeping your brain active. You know, don't write down your grocery list. Memorize it. That keeps your brain going. Uh, things like that. Protecting your bandwidth. This is a huge thing with technology. We're talking about blue screens. So protecting your bandwidth. This is technology. This is a huge thing in our culture. I do believe that phones are taking over the soberness of mind that we are called to have as believers. And I'm not saying you have to throw away your phone and get a flip phone, but I'm I am saying, well, it's not a bad idea if you're addicted to your phone. I was just looking at my phone settings and I love that you can track screen time. I saw that I had 26 opens most every day this week. That means every time I opened my phone, it was because a message came. And so 26 times on a Friday when I'm supposed to be with my kids fully engaged I was interrupted 26 times and I allowed it, right? Okay, some of those may have been my husband. We had a remodel going on and building our house. So yes, I was on my phone more Friday than usual. But think about that. Go to your phone, look at those statistics. Are you being completely captivated by this thing with a blue screen? Putting your phone in its place, in its proper place, whether that's your iPad, your phone, your TV, it's very important to our spiritual and intellectual health. So reprogram yourself, first of all, not to feel obligated. No one actually has to reach you every single hour of the day. Please don't feel like that. Yes, our culture says, oh, but what if they don't reach me? You know, in the olden days, letters used to take three weeks to get to you. (laughs) I think they can wait three hours or three days, right? You know, and make it it manageable. The people that you really care about, like your inner three and your family members, don't put those on do not disturb. Put everyone on do not disturb and get to them when you choose, not when they choose. That keeps us sober-minded to be focused on what God calls us to. Get in your phone and manage your notifications. You know, don't let it manage you. Uh, Look and see how much screen time you are spending. I realized that I got 400 notifications last week in one week. I mean, that is a lot. And if I'm not managing that, it's going to enslave me. Yeah. And I think too, what that affects is your, your memory, but also your, what's it called? Attention span. I feel like we have we can't sit and think seriously or talk seriously about something for longer than 10 minutes these days. We're just so used to these like being pulled right and left back to our phone and and we're not able to focus on anything anymore. And our attention span is just shot. We can't sit through an hour sermon and and we're just so used to being to having our focus shifted like every few seconds. And I'm so glad you brought out the the screen time. And I have talked about this before on this podcast about how impactful that was for me to see how much time each day I was spending on each app on my phone. And it also will show you, you know, the hours you spend per hour of the day. So if you're looking at that and you're saying, okay, here I am supposed to be at work working and yet I was on my phone for two hours that day. You know, I mean, it could be that you're like listening to a podcast or something while you're working. You know, I guess if you can manage that, that's fine. 
but that can be really convicting of you're getting paid to do a job, but how are you actually spending your time at work or when you're at home, you know, are you present with the people you're with? If you don't live alone, if you live with people, maybe you should leave your phone in your car when you come home. And I even know people, my sister-in-law actually, she has an app that whenever she's driving and I try and text her, it'll shoot back a little message saying, I'm driving. I'm sorry, I'll get back to you when I can. It's just this little automated response. But I got to thinking, maybe you could program that into your phone when you're at work. And it'll just automatically send that message to whoever is texting you saying, Hey, I'm at work. I'll get back to you at 5 o'clock. People just know. And if you set the boundaries for your communication and your life, then people will start to learn that about you and they'll respect that. So do what you need to do to take control back of your phone and stop letting it control and master you. So many people are mastered by their phones. Anywhere you go, everywhere, all the time, people are looking down and on their phones and they're not present where they are or interacting with people. Or, I mean, I just wonder how many evangelistic opportunities are missed because we're on our phones and we're distracted. So just be, just be aware of how it affects your relationships with people, how it affects your work productivity, and really take control of that. Yes. And I believe that God gives us this current moment not to be pulled out by some ding or ring. You know, think about it. When a ding or ring goes off, do you jump? That is a great feedback for your soul to see how connected to your phone you are. You know, when I'm with my kids or, you know, if you're single, if you're with your family or with your good friends, when a ding goes off, do you turn? Do you look? Do you pick it up? Do you have to see? Well, you are in essence saying, I value the ding, the thing on the other side of the ding more than I value you, this person that's right in front of me. And it's not okay. It's not the one another's. I I do believe that. One thing I love to do is I pretend my phone is an old school phone and I pretend it's, do you guys remember uh, on the hook? Remember when the phone had to go back on the hook? I'm sorry. Am I too old? I'm only 30, but like, seriously, that's how I grew up. So in our house, we have a little metal thing on our fridge that holds our phone and we call it the hook and our phones go in there. They do not come around the house with us. They're not on the chair and on the couch and at the table and, you know, wherever they're on the hook. And when someone needs to call us and text us, They will. And if it rings, we may go over and say, oh, someone really needs to get a hold of us. But I I would just recommend put it on a hook, find a hook and put it on. And, And, you know, when you're talking or texting, stay by the hook because then you're not walking around. It's not infiltrating your day. So I text people right by the fridge and then I put it back up on the fridge. And then my kids also know I'm talking to someone right now. And I think we struggle with something called continuous partial attention. We are giving the people in our life continual partial attention, not full attention. And it's very destructive in friendships, in family, um, even for our own soberness of mind. And so those would be my recommendations. There's lots more, you know, you can, you can say here, but don't let your phone pull you out of the current moment that God has put you in. And if you're really addicted to your phone, one more plug is I turned my phone on black and white for months to help me resist the urge and become non-addicted. And they found that the colors are partly what, what's most addicting. So just a plug, turn it on black and white or get a flip phone or do what you need to do. Yeah. And for me, I always, you know, I don't put mine in a cupboard or near the fridge, but I keep my phone plugged in in my bathroom so that at least it's not in my room. I'm not waking up and rolling over and and scrolling or it's not affecting my sleep in any way where I feel like I can have people reach me. I guess if there's a true emergency, I don't know how someone would get a hold of me, but (laughs) I just trust the Lord with that. And yeah, so finding ways to put it like, yeah, in a cupboard or somewhere else where it's going to be out of sight and hopefully out of mind. I feel like everybody knows this stuff, but it really comes down to discipline and building these habits takes effort and it takes discipline. And I would encourage the listeners to go back 
I think it was the first or second interview. I think it was the first interview I did for this podcast was about building habits. And it's excellent. I highly recommend you go back and listen to that two-part series that I did with Janice Johnson. But she shares a lot of her practical steps and things that she does every day to build discipline and habits into her life. That's great. Yeah. In conclusion, I would just ask the listeners as well, does your screen time hours, check it today. Don't just think you're going to check it. Check it right now while you're listening. Do these hours and items that I'm spending my time on reflect God's priorities and desires that should be in our life? We are so busy. We are drunk on busyness. We are not sober-minded. Have you ever thought about going to the longer line, driving in the slower lane, letting someone go in front of you? I've done this multiple times with four kids. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead in front of me. I'm not in a hurry. You know, it really slows down our life and it allows us to be more courteous and sober-minded. Emotional stability. We have to steward our emotions. This is huge. Am I responding or am I reacting? This is really good. We need to be aware of our stressors. If we just deny them all day, you know, oh, it's not important. That's not important. It's important the way that you're snapping or you're doing this, or, you know, I call it snap, crackle, pop when, you know, you just, a woman is at her edge, right? It's important to take short accounts with ourselves, also with the people we love, but with ourselves and keep our job is to emotionally regulate ourselves. No one's going to do it for us. So yeah, find tools on that. That's a, another good topic to talk about. Emotional stability also goes with expectations. Um, expectations are a killer. Let's check them and see where we're at with the people we love and with ourselves. And then physical wellness, ingestion, sleep, rest, fitness, and manicuring yourself. Those are my main points in physical wellness. So ingestion, what do you eat? You know, it's about quality, not quantity. Don't eat chemicals, limit sugar and flowers. Don't eat processed foods. I mean, we could get into all of this. Key one, do you eat for nutrition or do you eat for pleasure? I think this really determines whether we are stewarding our bodies well. Uh, my kids will be like, I don't want to eat that green thing. I say, you know, oh, it's okay. You can eat it. And uh, no, that doesn't taste good. I say, well, it's a good thing we don't eat for pleasure. We eat for nutrition and that is really good for your body. So please eat it. And they'll, they'll suck down a whole head of kale. I mean, it's, it's, it's something else. You should come to my house and see it. It's pretty fantastic. Key two, can I give thanks to Jesus for this? Yes. Like say you have 12 cookies on a platter. Truly have a cookie enjoy, give thanks. God, thank you for this wonderful dessert and that you made taste buds. Could I give thanks for that one cookie? Absolutely. Could I give thanks for the 10th cookie? I don't think so. This is a good key to see what we're ingesting. Key three, am I giving thanks when I'm eating fast or not practicing gratitude? So do we eat too fast? You know, it doesn't matter just what we eat. If we're eating too fast, our body's having a really hard time processing it. Key four, this is my favorite rule, the 80-20 rule, okay? This is moderation. I say 80% of the time, eat really healthy and steward your body well. 20% of the time, be human. Don't stress out about it. You know, the stress that it's going to cause you to eat healthy 101% of the time is probably going to do your body worse than just eating healthy 80% of the time. And let's talk about coffee. Yes. And this, I mean, I know just by mentioning this as a stewardship issue, we're probably going to step on 99% uh, of the toes out there. And I'm, I'm a coffee drinker. I'm sitting here right now as we record this with my cup of coffee, my second cup of the day. It's only on Saturdays. I allow myself to indulge in two cups. Um, but I know it's a huge part of our culture. And what I want to challenge the listeners with is once again, not being mastered by anything. If you're circumventing getting sleep or rest and just saying, okay, I'm just going to get take another cup of coffee today to get through the day when you could have rested a little bit more I would say that's a misplaced priorities with stewardship. You know, God's given us certain means of being refreshed 
And I understand there's times when you're not able to get the sleep and coffee is a helpful tool to help you get through the day. But if you're always running to it to give you the energy you need rather than rest or nutrition, there's a problem there. And another thing I see with coffee is that people need it now to be okay and to function. You should be in control of it. And you might need to take some weeks off to let your caffeine tolerance go down. You know, if you need five cups each day, as when you just needed one before, you might need to to tweak that and to get back down to one cup a day. And I also, if you're struggling with anxiety, it could be the caffeine. I have friends who um, struggled in this area. And as soon as they started cutting out coffee, their anxiety went down by like 50%. So it was amazing how much it affects our bodies. And if that's an area you struggle with, experiment with that. Try cutting it out. See what happens. It might be worth it to you. So I think it's just a wisdom issue. Once again, moderation, so key. Not letting something have mastery over you where you have to have it and you go crazy if you can't have it. You know, just glorifying God in that, enjoying it, you know, but having it in its rightful place. Yes. I think that's great. I just, I love, it all comes back to you. Can I give thanks for this to God who made me? So we have physical wellness, ingestion, eating the right things, sleep and rest. Yeah. Again, if you're tired, don't grab another cup of coffee, go take a nap, right? God is allowing your body to say, Hey, I need more sleep, not coffee. A normal human needs seven to nine hours of sleep a night. If you're too busy to sleep, you're too busy, period. Key one, go to bed and wake up at the same time. This is really good for our bodies. We have something called circadian rhythm and it's very strong. And if you're going to bed here and there and everywhere and getting up whenever, it's really hard for your body to function. And if you're having emotional upset, it could be, honestly, 60% of it could just be your sleep patterns. Key two, I suggest going to bed before midnight. There's this rule that you get a two for one. every hour you sleep before midnight is like, is almost like two hours of sleep after midnight. Key three, wind down blue light limit. We kind of touched on that. Um, melatonin production is really important for falling asleep. And if you're on your phone, it's plugged in right by your bed and not in the bathroom or not on the hook, you may have sleep issues and it may be because of your blue screen. Fitness. This is a huge one. Your best years are ahead. I don't care how old you are. It's not, oh, we get old and cripple. No, it's 70. You can run a marathon at 80. You can be working out truly, but it starts now. It starts today. You want to be strong and fit to keep going and to serve God well. Uh, manicured. We talked a little bit about this. Maked up, caked up, or presentable and prepared. I love the idea of I'm manicured, I'm presentable, I'm prepared for whatever comes, but I don't, it doesn't mean I have to be caked up with makeup necessarily. I do wear a little bit. I like to accentuate what God already gave me. So I put a little bit of foundation on and a little bit of mascara and it just makes me look a little more awake and presentable. And I love that. Um, but I spend, I mean, and everyone will be different, but you know, Maybe it's 30 minutes, maybe it's even an hour, but it's stewardship. It's manicuring yourself for the glory of God, not for man. Yeah. And it, you know, it does affect your testimony because unbelievers or anyone, that's the first thing they notice about you. If you're sloppy and you never brush your hair and you don't put any effort into your appearance, that is going to negative negatively affect people's perception of you and their willingness to take what you say seriously. So think about it. And Lynn Brown talked about that in an episode past about how important that was to for your own testimony for the gospel to be well-groomed. I totally second that because when I was in college um, at the master's university and Dr. Jones was hounding on me because I didn't want to do English. I just want to do chemistry and math. And he said, Maisie, if you don't do English and you can't talk and write credibly, people are, you are going to not have 
this credibility for the gospel. Cause I was like, I don't care us or we, or, you know, it, it, what is proper English? It used to irritate me. And now I realize it affects my credibility. And I think the same thing about being manicured, it affects our credibility. We need to be manicured for the glory of God, you know, so that we can reach others and we're not sloppy and they're not distracted by our <laughs> appearance or greasy hair, or, you know, I'm not saying there's not days, but Overall, presentable, prepared, and ready to serve. And that, I think, is dressing clean, moisturizing, trimming nails, shaving that bikini line, waxing. I mean, doing the, all those things, those are womanly things. Be beautiful because God has created. I don't care what you look like. If you're a woman, you're beautiful. You have soft skin. I mean, you have curves. Women are just beautiful creatures. And so manicure yourself for the glory of God. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) The last one is just relational health. Listen well, minister well, conflict well. Conflict is a huge part of being in a relationship with anyone, a spouse, family member, a best friend. But I want to just bring up two points. Don't make a moment of anger out of what God has intended to be a moment of ministry. In our relationships, when we get irritated and we make those moments, oh, just a product of our irritation, we've missed the moment. We've missed the relationship. Um, Conflict well with others. Conflict is not a burden. It's a blessing. It's God's way of providing growth and grace towards one another. It's not an inconvenience, though it may feel like it. It's a way that God is going to grow you and that person. So what does this look like in real life on a Monday morning at 7 a.m. or 5.30 a.m.? Well, it's going to look different for everyone. But what I'd love to share is what I do because I love my routine. And I do have to be honest, right now we're living in one room with four children while we're building our house. And I am working a nonprofit. My husband works full time. I homeschool the kids. There's a lot of needs. And I, I just had a baby. And so this has looked a little different in the last six months than it usually does. So I don't want to be a hypocrite. Like, but this, when life is good and we're not going through certain seasons, this is what I do. And I love my morning routine. I hate mornings, but I love my morning routine. I am not a morning person, but you know what? This makes mornings better for me. So alarm goes off at 5.30. And the first thing I do before I even get out of bed is I practice gratitude. You can start with your wonderful down blanket or the sun peeking through the blinds, and you can go all the way to the cross and to your family, whatever that is, practice gratitude. As your eyes start to open, I am not a morning person, so my eyes are fully shut still at this moment. I do practice visualization. Now, this is not the secular worldly term. This is, I take my three biggest sins or struggles and I walk myself through doing what the Lord says is right. So we put a lot of time into, a lot of time and energy into meditating on what's wrong. It's time we take a lot of time and energy on meditating what's right. So One time, like when I was addicted to my phone, I would literally sit there and visualize my husband coming up to me. Hey, babe, what do you, what do you want to do with this? And I would visualize me putting my phone down, looking him in the eyes with no partial attention, full attention and saying, Hey, I would like to do this instead of the, I'm texting you and trying to talk to you. And it's just really rude for both people. Right. You know, I sit there and I visualize doing right because then when that moment comes and it will come in about two hours or five hours, I have already practiced choosing what's right. And it's much easier to choose what's right a few hours later. So I do that with all sorts of struggles of mine, with lust, with taking that second look of the person jogging down the road, or if it's snapping at someone, I mean, practice what's right before you ever get out of bed. And then I put my knees on the floor. My eyes are sometimes open by this point. (laughs) Oh, dear Jesus, help me. I hate mornings, okay? I put my knees on the floor and I say, God, I commit this day to you, not me. And then after that, I usually floss and brush my teeth. And I always floss in the morning because I know that I'm usually too tired to do it at night. And I turn on some music, whatever music makes you tick. And that's a lot of soul care. I pray, I'm meditating, I'm reading my Bible. And then we go to body care. I drink 16 ounces 
actually right now I drink 32 ounces of lemon water before I even like before it even reaches seven o'clock and we eat at eight o'clock. So hours before I have my first bite to eat, I get down 32 ounces of water and I have never felt better. And then 20 minute workout, you know, it's busy life. 20 minutes is enough. If you do the right kind of workouts, you don't have to spend an hour a day, two hours a day. And then I manicure myself. I shower, I put deodorant on, I do my hair, light makeup, dressed, wax or shave if needed. Um, and I start tidying the house and preparing to serve. And then in the afternoon, I also take a little time. So mine is a three-part thing, three-part course, morning, noon, and night. In the afternoon, we have siesta time at our house, two hours of quiet time where children are sleeping or people aren't bothering us, our phones are turned off, and I actually take a nap. Sometimes I sleep, sometimes I meditate. But 20 minutes a day, I lay down flat. And again, if you have a day job, you may not be able to do this. As a mom, this is a very unique situation where I can. But whatever that is, a lunch break, take a little time to stop and say, how am I doing today? My glorifying God, rest, take accountability with your stressors, check in with yourself. And then Nighttime, brush your teeth, wash and lotion your face, put your jammies on. And I stretch every night before I go to bed. And I just, I, I put it on, you know, brushing teeth. As soon as I brush my teeth, I stretch and you just nest those habits into each other. And pretty soon you have this beautiful stewardship going on. That's filling you up as you serve others. And this is so glorifying to God to fill yourself up with all these good things physically and emotionally and intellectually, and just be able to give out of your surplus and the grace that's been given to you. So that's a little bit of my routine and I love it. And I know there's a thousand out there, so find what works for you, but do this with the right motivations, with the right balance, steward your body and your mind and your soul for the glory of God so that you can serve others well.